This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System L-I-V-E Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. We are here across the NBA Global Networks on a Wednesday just after, just right before 1.30 p.m. Eastern. We're about to go through a ton of topics, Scott. But before we do so, how are you feeling, my man? There's never a dull day in the NBA, Colin. That's what, that's what I learned. Especially now, it just feels like it's a 365-day league. You know, not only do we get game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last night, we also get the NBA Draft Lottery, which is a day that, you know, 16 teams, sorry, 14 teams have been waiting patiently for since the end of the regular season. So never a dull day, but I'm doing well, Colin. How are you? Can't complain. As you said, there's always plenty to talk about. The conference finals um, stage of the NBA playoffs always feels like everyone is watching it. Like there's casual basketball fans that watch the first two rounds of the playoffs, but it feels like everyone is watching the conference finals. When we get down to the final four, we'll discuss both the Western and Eastern conference finals. But as Scott mentioned, we had the NBA draft lottery. If you're listening to us live, it was last night. If you're listening to us on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, just typing in NBA sound system, like rate and review. It was on Tuesday night that we saw 14 teams faith uh, decided by a couple ping pong balls in uh, in a lottery machine. And it was the Orlando Magic who were the luckiest of all 14 teams. They end up with the number one overall pick in 2022. Uh, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have picks galore over the next couple drafts, end up with the second overall pick to help them continue shape their future. And third was the Houston Rockets. Scott, when you take a look at just how things fell last night, um, give me a winner from last night's draft lottery. I mean, it has to be the Magic. Um, I, I know they had tied for the best odds. Um, was it with the the Rockets and the Kings, I believe? Um, yeah, Rockets, Magic, and Pistons, sorry, all had an equal chance of getting them one pick. Still, um, you know, I, I'm, I haven't like dived headfirst into all the draft stuff yet, but it seems like this is primarily a three-person draft. Um, so to get the first pick of those three players, you get to add someone um, to your core. I, they're, they're the easy winners in my mind, but I also think the Thunder were winners because they didn't have, they weren't in that same group as the Rockets, Magic, and Pistons. They had the, the fourth best odds to get the number one pick, so they still had very high odds. Um, but to, to, to get the number two pick in this draft is huge for them because we know that this team... It's fully committed to the, to the entire process of a rebuild. Like they, they've just got a treasure trove of draft picks. They already have kind of an exciting young core with Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and now they get to add, you know, a Chet Holgram potentially um, to this mix. So uh, they, they were the two big winners, obvious winners, but two big winners for me. I, uh, I am a big fan of the way the lottery balls fell for the Thunder. I think the best pick to have in this draft is actually the number two overall pick because you don't have the pressure of making the mistake at one uh, that the Orlando Magics have uh, you know, coming up in June when we do have the draft. Uh, as you said, there is no clear-cut number one overall prospect coming into the NBA this season, according to many who follow this stuff, our very own Kyle Irving, uh, who's actually in Chicago as we speak um, at the draft combine, 
has Paulo Bancaro as the number one overall pick, Paulo Bancaro from Duke. Um, he, he is, in Kyle's mind, um, just a slight edge above three other prospects. He has a tier one that has Bancaro uh, as a number one, and then it's a toss-up between Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren, and Jaden Ivey from Purdue. He thinks that those four players, either of them, could easily be the number one overall selection in this year's draft. That's what makes me feel like you win by picking number two here because, you, like I said, you don't have the pressure of selecting one and having any of those three that you don't select become the best player in this draft class, whereas if you are selecting two and that number one overall pick ends up being the best player in this draft, then you could look back and say, well, we wouldn't have had a chance to select them anyway. So uh, the Thunder in a good spot here to continue to build around Shea Gilders Alexander and uh, Josh Giddy. They knocked out the park last year, I thought, uh, by selecting Josh Giddy. And we know that Sam Presti, is uh, he's batting a good average when he does select in the top five. Um, he has picked up some gems <laughs> anytime he's – some Hall of Famers, anytime he's picked in the top five. So um, I trust that Sam Presti is going to – be able to identify his guy and and have him at number two. Who's a loser in this draft lottery? Um, I know no games were played, but there is a loser here. Well, Colin, did you know that since the NBA flattened the lottery odds in 2019, this is from Stat Muse, that the team with the worst record has never got the first overall pick. I did not um, know that. So that's, I think that's the NBA is happy about that, right? Like I think Probably. I think that's I think that was the goal was to minimize tanking so the combination of the draft lottery odds being what they are and also the playing tournament we're, we're probably out of the tanking uh era right well I, I don't know if i'd go that far but the rockets had the worst record in the nba this season they say fall is is probably too extreme but they 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 have the number three pick in this draft but i think the biggest losers were the pistons they had sure. the same odds as the rockets um and the magic for that number one pick and they fell to five again not a terrible position to be in because you just named the top four um it does feel like you know this is there are five names um because shade and sharp seems to be getting a lot of buzz um admittedly i do not know a ton about him but a lot of people seem to be excited about his potential so between those top five like it seems like that any team that's in that position is going to be um pretty happy but you know they did have a very good chance of being the number one pick so i i think they are easy losers as well um i mean the the clear one here is the lakers because they you know had an awful season missed out on the play in tournament um having a lottery pick in this draft but they will not actually make that pick it is going to the pelicans as part of the anthony davis trade from a few years ago so that pick is number eight in this draft again that's outside of this top four or five prospects um, but that's an opportunity for the Pelicans to add another good prospect or package it, package that pick potentially to go get someone else to add to this core of Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, um, CJ McCollum, who they picked at the trade deadline. This is still a very young team. Um, they got off to a slow start this season, but they really turned it around. And I think they proved themselves in the play-in tournament um, and in that first round against the Suns, kind of pushing them to six games, making it very competitive. I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic if you are a Pelicans fan. And anytime you get a, you know, add a an eight, eighth pick in the draft to that mix, um, I think that's great for them. But obviously for the Lakers, that that is a, a bit of a loss. Although even that feels a little, a little too far. That trade led to them winning another championship. So maybe right. they're not, you know, little, yeah, I was gonna say. tiny, tiny bit of losers, but not really. 
I was going to say, I don't think they're, uh, I don't think they're complaining about that. Looking at the 2020 championship banner that hangs in uh, the old place called Staples Center. I forget what it's called now. Crypto.com or something like that. Yeah. Crypto.com um, arena, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, it's all rolls off the tongue. Always Staples <laughs> Center to me. Uh, so I don't know if the Lakers are losers per se, but I know that a lot of people like to pile on and laugh at them uh, coming off the season that they had. Um, I, I think the Portland Trailblazers in this scenario, to me, are losers. I know they had the best odds of landing exactly where they ended up being. Uh, that was the seventh pick. They are at the seventh pick. And I, I just feel like just that's just outside of the range of potentially getting someone that could really impact your team next season. Now, obviously, the draft is a crapshoot. No one knows how these players are going to perform. There are picks that end up being eighth, seventh, uh, that are franchise changers. Second, second round, round picks. Yep. You were going to say it, so I said it for you. Second <laughs> round picks in the middle of a Taco Bell commercial that end up changing your franchise's destiny. So uh, you could really find talent anywhere in the draft, but I do feel that if you were a Blazer fan and you were able to jump into that top four, uh, you'd be a little happier than what you are now. Um, now, this mock draft that our Kyle Irving has on NBA.com across the global sites, NBA.com, and also Sporting News in the United States, uh, has the Trailblazers mocked to select Dyson Daniels. And I got a chance to see Dyson Daniels play a little bit in Cleveland at the All-Star Weekend um, during the G League uh, showcase and uh, watched some clips on him, um, some tape on him from his G League season. He would probably be that C.J. McCollum replacement. He's not the C.J. McCollum player, um, but he is a a guard that can handle and and also run some point. Um, according to Kyle, he, he reminds him a lot of Josh Giddy. Um, he needs to refine his jump shot, and uh, he is a a bigger version of C.J. McCollum, if that makes sense. Uh, he does have tools that should allow him to be a pretty good defender in the league. He's pretty athletic as well. So, um, in the sense of being a player that can impact your offense without having a ball in his hands and then also playmate for others. Josh Giddy is probably that perfect combo, um, but both of them need to refine their jump shot a little bit, and I think that's where Dyson Daniels is. Um, Daniels is probably a little bit better of a slasher um, than than Giddy, but um, it, that that would be the pick for the Portland Trailblazers if Kyle Irving is right. Um, I don't know if you get excited for that if you're Portland is if you were to get a Chet Holmgren or uh, a Jabari Smith Jr., who a lot of people, you know, including the betting odds, favor as the number one overall pick in this draft. But um, we'll have plenty of time to talk draft. Uh, Scott, uh, Kyle Irving, our draft expert, will probably be on with us here on the show at some point to break some of this stuff down. As I said, he's in Chicago right now. Just landed, actually. I just got a text from him. He just landed in Chicago and is getting ready to head over to uh, the Combine and check some of these prospects out. Um, I do feel, though, after talking to him and other people, around the league i do feel yes we don't have a transcendent star like there's no zion williamson in this draft there's no um you know obviously lebron but there's no dwight howard in this draft like there's not a guy in here that you as the number one overall pick is a stone cold lock that would you know potentially be a hall of famer down the road no one's projecting any of that but i do feel like we're going to get a bunch of really high level players that will you know set a a franchise forward um, over the next 10 years by, you know, and, and, and you, you might find some of that stuff just at the back end of the lottery. Like I, 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 if you're the Hornets right now, are you mad that you are picking, um, what is it? 
12th overall for for the Charlotte Hornets. They're no, they're 13th. Uh, and you end up with Duke's Mark Williams, who some have compared to Clint Capella. And, you know, if the knock on the Hornets has been the last couple of seasons is that they don't have a quality starting center. And if you end up with a Mark Williams and it turns out to be a Clint Capella, I mean, is that a bad thing? You know, at 13, that's a that's a guy that could start for you for the next 10 years. Rim protection, rim running, the perfect pick and roll partner for LaMelo Ball like that is what you need. And we've heard rumors that they could potentially end up with a Mike D'Antoni off your running. Like that, that could really change your franchise going forward and turn you from a playing team to a playoff team. I think there's a lot of those type of players uh, in this year's draft. Yeah, it does seem like there's quite a few players people are excited about. To, to your point, not necessarily saying that they're going to be superstars, stone cold franchise leader, or anything like that. Um, but I also think that's what's interesting about some of the like the Thunder, are fascinating to me because I. I know you're, you're high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I am too. I think he has multiple all-star appearances in his future. Josh sure. Giddy, that felt like kind of a reach last year when the Thunder got him with, what, the sixth pick? Um, and that turned out to be a great pick for them. So to, to add you know, to that call with a Chet Holmgren, who you can kind of be a little bit more patient and let him add to his size, um, but you know, a guy who can hit threes, he can block shots, he can handle the ball, he can pass, he's really unique. Um, adding that to that team, I mean, the the sky's the limit, it feels like, for a team like the Thunder anyway, because there is just so much unknown, and, like, they, they could go in a million different directions over the next few years. But, um, no, it, it does seem like there's a lot of players. As I said, I'm not as locked into the draft right now as, as someone like Kyle. Um, this is kind of what he lives for. But um, it, it does kind of seem like treetops of it all, that there are plenty of players that people are excited about. Last thing on the draft, and uh, we'll move on to game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, if the Thunder do end up with Chet Holmgren, there's going to be a lot of people tuning into League Pass to see a lineup that features Chet and Poku next season. Can't yeah. wait to see it. Can't wait to see it. Uh, all right, let's go Eastern Conference. Finals are underway. Uh, the Miami Heat with a great third quarter performance. It wasn't even a. It wasn't even a great performance across the board. It was a great third quarter performance. And they end up blowing out the Boston Celtics that just seemed to run out of gas uh, towards the end of that game. 118-107. Jimmy Butler scores 41. Um, that is his third 40-point game in these playoffs. He was terrific in that second half. Jason Tatum finished with 29, but a lot of the damage was done in the first half. He looked like he was unstoppable in the first half and came back out after the halftime break and looked very pedestrian. And the Heat were able to run away with game one. There's always that that wonder of like rest versus rust. P- people always talk about that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, uh, when we preview the Western Conference uh, finals in, in a minute here. Um, but what I saw was the Celtics just simply ran out of gas in that second half. And I wonder if they had not played a physical game seven uh, or a physical seven game series, period with the Milwaukee Bucks, if they would have been able to close out that game because they seemed like they were in complete control of that first half. And then, you know, the third quarter starts and it was turnover after turnover. They just did not look like the same team. I, I think that's fair. I will push back a little bit, though, and I think you need to give more credit to the, the Heat's defense because they they really ramped it up in that third quarter. You could tell they, they came out super aggressive. They were pressuring them. It felt like all over the court. Um, I, I think they really dialed up, and I, I don't think the Celtics were really expecting it, to be honest. Um, as good as this Heat team is defensively, we've seen it all season long, the super versatile and everything. 
but they they really stepped it up in that third quarter and it, i mean it was just a dominant showing like i i don't remember last time watching an nba game where someone made one pass and someone picked that pass off and like back-to-back possessions like jimmy butler did you don't see that in the regular season mind alone in game one of the eastern conference finals so so maybe there is some of that fatigue maybe there is from that game seven but i do think that he was just outstanding in that third quarter defensively um as i said jimmy butler those two steals in particular bam out of bio i mean the defensive player of the year conversation was so difficult this year because there were so many um good options and bam was one of them but you know i, I think what hurt his case a little bit was he just didn't really appear in enough games maybe or in a contest that was so close like that that did hurt his case more than other players i mean he's uh, he's in that conversation with the best defensive player in the league his ability to just guard every single position we saw that kind of that, that recovery block on jalen brown when he le- when, when he went by him what he's able to do on that end of the court is just outstanding but um so so i i think that that was the, the big thing that stood out to me this heat team done up on that end of the court but also i mean we have to talk about how the Celtics were without Marcus Smart and Al Holford, two starters. Um, you know, teams generally, when they make it this far in the playoffs, kind of only go seven to eight deep anyway in their rotation. So missing two starters and two key starters, I mean, we're talking about the guy who was voted Defensive Player of the Year in Marcus Smart and Al Holford, who is a vet, been on the stage, uh, played plenty of playoff games in the past. We saw what he was able to do in that last round against the Bucks. Um you know, not having both of those guys means you have to to play, um, go more to, to your bench. You know, Peyton Pritchard played 30 minutes in game one. Aaron Neesmith, we saw him play 11 minutes and he had a couple tremendous blocks as well. Um, but those guys, I mean, Neesmith probably doesn't play in that game if they're both healthy. Pritchard probably doesn't play 30 minutes if they are. So I, I think that played a big factor in it as well. Um, and it, it seems like Marcus Smart is trending towards playing in game two, which is good news for the Celtics. But it doesn't seem like like Al Horford Woj reported that the Celtics are prepared for him still still being in health and safety protocols uh, for Game Two. So TBD on his availability. But if if he's not available for those two games, I think that that's going to hurt the Celtics a lot. I I had the Celtics winning this series, I believe, in seven games. I think that it could also end in six, but I feel strongly that the Celtics will win this series eventually. Uh, I think you had the Celtics as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Did game one change your mind in any way, shape, or form? I, I don't think necessarily what happened in game one changed my mind, but the fact that Marcus Smart is dealing with an injury, the fact that we don't know when Al Holford will be back, that, that worries me a little bit from the Celtics' perspective. The other thing, too, is like the, the big knock against the Heat this season were would they be able to manufacture enough points in the half court to be able to win some of these big games in the playoffs? And look, if Jimmy Butler is going to do this, he's not going to score 41 points every single night. But if he's going to do the things that he's been doing in these playoffs consistently, getting to the free throw line, he took 18 free throws in game one. Sure. Um, you know, he had some big shots against Jaden Tatum, Jason Tatum from mid-range. There was that one when he did a little spin move, pulled up over him. Tatum got a hand in his face, didn't didn't do anything. If he's going to continue playing at this sort of level, um, I mean, this Heat team becomes an entirely different monster. Yeah, I I still, nothing changed my mind after watching game one. Um, I, I still think the Celtics lost this one more than the Heat won this one. And I know you wanted to give credit to the Heat defense, um, which, you know, they were, they were really good in the first half too. Jason Tatum was just hitting, you know, tough shots uh in the first half but their defense was i don't think they they, they went up a level I, I i just think that the celtics offense just got sloppy with the basketball anytime you have 
um, you know, team that's going to you know turn the ball over 16 times. It's going to be hard for you to win. And I had the same questions as you did going into the series about how the Heat are going to manufacture enough points to win games. They scored 118 points uh, in game one, and 17 of those were off of turnovers. So that you remove that, um, and they're closer to where I think their score lines will end up being around that 100 to 105 point range. And then you remove Jimmy Butler's big game, you know, 40 points from him. He's not going to be able to do that every night. And I don't know where the offense is coming from. Like they they didn't shoot well from three-point range, so maybe they get a little better there. They, they did have some timely threes, but I don't think they shot well from three-point range. They were 10 of 30 from three-point range uh, in game one. That's not going to be good enough for the Celtics. And, you know, even when the Celtics were playing poorly, by the way, they lost that third quarter 39 to 14. Um, there were still times where they made some runs. The Celtics I'm talking about made some runs where they got close enough that if they were able to figure things out and maybe if Marcus Smart or, or Al Horford is playing instead of Aaron Neesmith uh, and Daniel Tice, it, maybe they get over the hump and you know really you know create some issues for the uh, Heat. I just, I just look at that game one and I say to myself, I'm very comfortable with my series pick. The Celtics played poorly. And they did not get totally blown out. And the Heat probably got their best game from Jimmy Butler and a lot of gifts, um, you know, from the Celtics offense and scored 118 points. I don't see that happening again. There wasn't much that I saw in the win from the Heat that makes me believe that they could replicate that level of effort um, for three more times in this series. Um, you know, can it happen again in game two? Sure. Then maybe they go up 2 0. But I, I just don't know how. They're able outside of their defense. Their defense was good outside of their defense, uh, and that will keep them in the game. Um, and that's why I think that they're able to push it to seven. But it, it, the offense is really where I struggle to see them. Um, you know, without Kyle Lowry, especially, um, and, and not mm-hmm. to say that Kyle Lowry is going to come into games and score twenty, but I think he just gives them a different element offensively that they don't have um, in the half court, at least. And yeah, I, I really feel comfortable with the Celtics pick. I, I think the Celtics are, are, are going on to the semi to the NBA Finals um, as long as they don't turn the ball over twenty times in, in the next couple of games here. To your point, too, like Gabe Vincent, to his credit, was absolutely fantastic in that game. Scored seventeen points, three of seven from three, gave yep. them the scoring punch that they needed. Um, he's had a great season. I mean, like the Heat story this year was they dealt with a ton of injuries. It felt like they really had that starting five, and yet they still. You know, finished with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. A lot of that is due to their defense, but it's also like this team just has a way of finding guys, undrafted guys, second round pick guys. I mean, Max Struess is another example of that. Um, you know, picking up these guys and them contributing in a meaningful way. So Gabe Vincent's had a great season. I just don't know if you can rely on him kind of being that. I mean, he was the third leading scorer in game one. Um, I don't know how often we see that again in this series, but they, they also probably need more offensively from Bam Adebayo. Um, defensively, again, he was absolutely fantastic. The 10 points on three or four shooting in game one. Again, not that they needed him to be super aggressive with the way that Jimmy Butler was playing. Tyler Hero played pretty well as well. Um, but I, I think if they get a little bit more offense out of him as well, that will help. Um, by the way, just a quick thing. I love PJ Tucker. I love mm-hmm. that guy. Um, he plays through absolutely everything. Um, you know, he's been to multiple conference finals over the last few years with different teams. I don't think that's a coincidence. What he brings, yes, he only took five shots. He only hit one three in that game one. But he's tough as nails, plays through his injury, guards everyone. Um, I mean, he was hounding 
Jason Tatum in that second half, basically picking up full court. Um, just what he brings to a team, even though he's not scoring, even when he's not hitting threes. We still have Ivy, who was last year for the Bucs. Um, but he is, he's just one of those guys Like I, I always find myself rooting for when watching the games. I have an X factor for the Heat. Even though I just talked about I don't see them uh, finding a way to win this series. But if they were to win this series, I think I don't think he's going to be the MVP, the uh, Larry Bird MVP of the conference finals. But I do think that he'll be an important piece, and that is Victor Oladipo. Mm-hmm. Um, there were stretches in that game where he was he was looking closer to the Victor Oladipo defensively that he was when he was at his peak. Offensively, I mean, he shot terribly from the field. He was two of, two of nine. And that, you know, obviously that's not going to get it done. But if he's able to stay on the floor because of his defense, um, you know, and 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 find his way to at least 50% shooting on any given night, I, I think he could swing, um, you know, a game at least uh, or a quarter or two um, in the series. That that will be a big deal because he, he's looking more confident than he had over the last couple of years in himself and what he can do with his body. Um, and I think that that could help uh, the Heat more than I think people are talking about right now um, because he's almost like an afterthought. He's only playing like 15, 16 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. But in last night, I, I really did see him with his length and his ability to, you know, poke at balls and, and you know, just weigh on people because he's only coming in the game for 15 minutes. So he's going to give you that full effort for that 15. Um, it, that may, you know, be to use a boxing analogy, that may be a body blow that, you know, starts to accumulate in the game six and game seven down the stretch of games. So, um, you know, I, I, I do expect people. To, to talk about him if the Heat are able to get past this uh, Celtic team. I, st- I still stick with my Celtic pick, but I, I think he'll be a factor if uh, the Heat are able to uh, to pull this off. Um, all right, let's quickly move to the Western Conference Finals, which begins tonight. If you are listening to the podcast on a Thursday or Friday, it already happened. Um, so you already may know the result of Game 1, so we won't spend too much time on Game 1 specifically, but I want to talk about the series as a whole there is a lot of people out there, Scott, that including yourself, that think the Dallas Mavericks are going to beat the Golden State Warriors. Alas, simply why? Well, you're on the other side of that, right? You think the Warriors are going to smoke him? Um, which, by the way, it is worth noting. I don't think you've been a big match believer in these playoffs, right? If I remember correctly, you had the Jazz winning the first round. I did. I mean, it feels like every single person in the world had the Suns beating them in the second round. I did as well. Um, they proved everyone wrong. So. Look, I, I just think this Mavericks team has a ton of momentum right now. It feels like they've caught lightning in a bottle. Luka Doncic is obviously absolutely incredible. He's going out 30 points, a thirty po- flooding with a 30-point triple-double every single night. I mean, he just carved up a Suns defense that has been one of the stingiest teams in the league on that end of the floor over the last couple of years. Um, Defensive Player of the Year finalist Mikel Bridges didn't have an answer for him. I mean, he, he's getting switches on DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Cameron Johnson, and just tearing them up. Um, I, a lot of that has to do with him, obviously. And I, I don't know if the, the Warriors have the answer to slow him down. And the thing is, like, the Mavs are going to need other players to step up. Like, we saw that in the last series. Luka was incredible in those first two games against the Suns. They still lost because they weren't getting enough out of the Jalen Brunsons and Spencer Dinwiddie's and all that. Um, when those guys showed up, when they stepped it up, that's what changed the series. So they're going to need those guys. Um, in a big way. But I, I also think, look, this is, for me, it's trust in Luca, trust in those, those secondary and t- tertiary options on this team. But also, this team is so good defensively. 
Like they 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 just made the Suns so uncomfortable in the last round, and they were one of the better defensive teams in the league this season. But I think that Paul Zingas trade that they, they they downsized. Um, this is a more perimeter orientated team now. Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, what they're able to do at that guard and forward position in terms of matching up the league's best players. That is huge, especially when they're going to play the Warriors in the next round with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole. I, I just, it feels like they're a well-oiled machine right now. It feels like they're kind of playing with house money. Like no one expected them to be here. Um, they have a ton of confidence. And another factor for this is not, it's always tricky to like put too much stock in what happens in the regular season when you're kind of projecting forward in these series. Because mm-hmm. like, for example, the Raptors beat the, the Sixers, what, three out of their four matchups this year. And we saw what happened in the playoffs. Um, but Steph Curry really struggled against the Dallas, the, the Dallas Mavericks in the regular season. He averaged 20 points per game, I think, in their four matchups, shooting 39% from the field, 29 from three. And it was Reggie Bullock who defended him in those games. And look, we just saw what he did. Um, again, him and Dorian Finney-Smith in the last round against uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. That's not to say that I think they're going to completely take Steph Curry out and he's going to put up those numbers for the entire series. But I, I do think maybe the combination of Luka getting his, um, getting the the Brunson game here and there, the Dinwiddie game here and there, and then trusting those guys to be able to make life difficult enough for the Warriors on the other end of the court. I I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm drinking the, the Mavericks Kool-Aid right now. You are. You are. And uh, I, I'm worried for you and many others um, who have picked the Dallas Mavericks. And here, here's why. I, I, I firmly believe that Luka Doncic is going to have a great series. We've seen him in enough playoff series now to understand that there's not no there's no one in the league that can stop him. Like we we watched him go up against the Clippers, his first playoff series. And you if you were to pick a team that is best suited to try and yep. stop Luka Doncic, it would be the LA Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And he absolutely destroyed them for, for seven games. And he, we're granted he didn't win the series, but he made it clear. There's no one in the world that could guard me. Um, you know, we, we we thought you know maybe maybe the Clippers could steal some minutes with Marcus Morris on him. No, it, you know, Luca really you know crushed him. Patrick Beverly you know had no 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 response for him. So there's no one in the league that really could guard this guy. And I I wasn't surprised by the numbers that he put up against the Suns. You mentioned you know defensive player of the year candidate in in in, Mar- in uh, uh, Bridges. Bridges is just too small to guard Luka Doncic. It, it was clear, you know, early in that series, and they really didn't have anyone that could match up with him. I don't know the Golden State has anyone that could match up with Luka specifically. I know I've, I've I've heard people talk about Draymond, and I don't think that's the best idea to put Draymond in that situation at this point in his career. I, I don't think that you should overcompensate for trying to stop Luka Doncic is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to get his points. I think yep. – what the Warriors should focus on is making sure that Jalen Brunson does not average 27 points for the series, which, by the way, is what he averaged against the Utah Jazz in round one. Uh, making sure that Spencer Dinwiddie does not come off the bench and average 15 points per game, which, by the way, is what he averaged in round one against the Jazz. That's the reason why the Jazz are home, in my opinion. Same thing. Jalen Brunson was able to, it wasn't quite the 20 plus points, but it was. 18 points against the Phoenix Suns. There was too many games where Luka Doncic got his and somebody else was able to step up and provide that secondary scoring. And I think if you're the Golden State Warriors, you have to say to yourself, hey, turn Luka into a score. 
if Luca wants to average 40, that's cool. But we got to make sure that he has six assists and not 10. We got to make sure that he's not able to, you know, flirt with a triple double. Because if he's if he's doing that, then that turns the Mavericks into a really tough team to beat. And I think that, uh, you know, Steve Kerr can use the blueprint that Greg Popovich used against the Phoenix Suns in the 20, uh, 2005 Western Conference Finals. The Suns were rolling. They're one of the best offensive teams in the league. Amari Stoudemire had an incredible series, Scott, in that five-game set. He averaged 37 points for the entire series. Uh, he had a 41-point game, a 37-point game in Game 2, a 34-point game in Game 3, and guess what? The Spurs were up 3 nothing before uh, they moved to Game 4 and lost that one. And he, he, in the closer, he had 42 points, and it just wasn't enough. They lost the series in five, the Suns did. And I, I think that the the, the Warriors could kind of steal that a little bit because the, the you know Suns were a great offensive team with a lot of talent, but the Spurs made sure that Steve Nash wasn't able to get off. Joe Johnson wasn't able to get off. Quentin Richardson, Jim Jackson, uh, Sean Marion had a terrible series. Um, they, they made sure that those others – did not beat them. It was cool that Amari Sarimari could go crazy and they couldn't stop him, but make sure that those others cannot beat him. Now, the one thing I will say that's a little bit different in this scenario than that one is that the Suns, they, they weren't the defensive team that the Mavs are this time around. I think the Mavs are a way better team than what the, well, there was a lot of better teams defensively, let's face it, than what the Phoenix Suns were at that time. So uh, there's some of that that has to do with it because the Spurs were able to score a lot easier on them than I think the Warriors will be able to. Um, but I do think that they can employ some of that and, you know, make sure that Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Kleba uh, doesn't have a big game that he, you know, that he had, uh, you know, against the, uh, the the Jazz in that first series. Like I, it, making sure that those others don't have big games alongside Luka, I think will go a long way in this series. I, I totally agree with you. I, I would just say that I think it's easier said than done. Because, look, this this Mavs team plays five out basically the entire game now. Um, they still start Dwight Powell. He's a rim-running center. Um, so the spacing isn't quite the same. But we saw what they did in the last series, basically making playing Maxi Kleber 30-plus minutes. Um, that makes them so tough to guard. And I, I think one of the interesting things about the Warriors to me is that this is a great team. We know what Steph Curry's capable of, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. They're battle-tested. They've been in these situations before. Um, there's good reason to trust them. I, it's more of like who the fourth and fifth player is for the, the Warriors right now that I feel like I have a few question marks because like if it's Jordan Poole, like Luka's going to hunt him relentlessly. But not only that, like Jalen Brunson's going to do the same. Spencer Dinwiddie's going to do the same. And when those guys get past them, playing five out, we saw what happened to the Jazz in the first round and while the Suns happened in the second round. Like That's just a driving kick to a knockdown three-point shooter. Um, same thing, you know, Jonathan Kaminga has had, had flashes this season, but is he someone you're going to want to play 20, 25, 30 minutes in the Western Conference Finals in a series against Luka Doncic? Like, the answer is probably no. Um, how, how much do they play like a Kavon Looney, knowing that he's going to get attacked relentlessly on that end of the court? So I, I think this is another one of those series, like they missed Gary Payton the second, I think, in that second round um, a little bit. You know, that changed. I think, I think that's a bit overstated, but go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, they, they did miss him, but I, I think, you know, once John Morant went down with that injury, that kind of changed it. But I do think this is a series where they will miss him because Andrew Wiggins, I think only two players defended Andrew Wiggins more during the regular season um, 
than Wiggins did. Sorry, got a Doncic more than, than Wiggins did. So I think he's going to be the primary defender on him. But if they had Gary Payton the second to just throw out there and let him guard him for 15, 20 minutes, like that's just another guy. I think you feel a little bit more comfortable matching up with him. So taking one less player um, in their rotation who can do that, I, I I just think that's really hard. And I also think on the end of the court, right? Like if Jonathan Kaminga is playing because they need his defense, offensively, that's going to hurt them. And as you said, this Mavericks team is very smart defensively. Um, they rotate really well. They they pick up on things like that. So, I look. I ultimately wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors win in six. I also. I don't think I'd be surprised if the Mavericks win in six. Like this is. We've just reached this point of the season where there's only four teams left, and it feels like they're pretty evenly matched. Um, I, I I just. I, I I have a lot of trust in Luca. Um, as good as Steph Curry is, I think I'll, I'll be in agreement. Luca is the best player in this series. Um, anytime you have that, that's 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 a big thing going your way. Um, and I just think they have a ton of momentum. Um, and as I said, I think they've kind of caught lightning in a bottle here. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I just have a little bit more respect and not that you're disrespecting them, but I just believe in the Warriors, uh, you know, a little bit more battle tested and a team that I, I you know, I, I just have great respect for, um, you know, they're, they're, they are one of the best defensive teams in the league too. You know, yep. it's uh, it's not like they're any slouch defensively. And, you know, we, we watched, we watched the Mavericks, um, you know, in these playoffs, guard two teams that I think you can game plan against. That's a lot easier to game plan than guarding Steph Curry. Like that—that that is a, a huge, you know, X factor that is not easy. You, you could look great against the the the, the, the Jazz. There, I mean, they're yes, they had the best offense in the NBA, but there are ways that you can game plan against the Utah Jazz. And by the way, it, it appears that Donovan Mitchell wasn't himself. You know towards the back end of the playoffs that you have to account for that Chris Paul, same thing. You know, he wasn't himself the last four games. He was, he wasn't healthy. That changed the entire series. You have to account for that. Their defense did look better the last four games. And it's no coincidence that Chris Paul wasn't playing well, um, you know, in, the, in those last four games, this is a healthy warriors team. And I, I, uh, I, I said that the Gary Payton, I said the Gary Payton, um, you know, thing is a little bit overstated because I do think that, you know, getting Otto Porter Jr. back makes a difference. Um, we may see him in this series. Getting, um, you know, we haven't seen Juan Toscano Anderson play at all, but there was talks of him at, you know, one point or another uh, this season spe- specifically uh, that he's the next Draymond Green. You know, he's another, he's just six fouls. He's, is he going to be able to lock Luka down? Absolutely not. But he's six fouls that you could put on, um, you know, a- a- as a fresh body, length, size, that Luka's not just going to be able to bully and and even if he is, that's just body blows that you know accumulate. There's the, Luca has had the ball a lot in his hands, and he's played a lot of games. And now we're going every other day. There ain't no more three, four day rests. It's going to add up. Um, so if you don't allow the other Mavericks to to get off the way they have in the first two series, and Luca just has to do so much offensively, I just don't. See it. That's 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 what it comes down to. Not disrespecting Luca, I have just the ultimate respect for for the Golden State Warriors to figure out a way uh, to get out of the series. And I and I and I think a lot of people are going to be shocked by the way that they uh, they pound this team. I I really do. I, I think it's going to be a shoot. I think it's going to be a five game series, Scott. I think I mean, it's going to be a five game series. 
I mean, look, we just talked about the the heat concerns kind of going into these playoffs and their half-court offense. That was, you know, the big concern with this Mavericks team. Um, we, we talked about it the other day, and I'm writing an article about it right now, but it's it's funny to look back at that Chris Dats-Porzingis trade because I feel like it flew under the radar at the trade deadline. And to a lot of people, it kind of signaled that the Mavericks were kind of mailing it in the rest of the season looking forward to the future, when in reality, it completely transformed this team and has led to this run that they've had. Um, so... And, and to your point, by the way, on the Warriors, I do think that's a very good point about their offense because the the Jazz are very much a, a pick-and-roll and ISO-heavy offense, right? We know with the Phoenix Suns, they run a ton of pick-and-rolls, those Spain pick-and-rolls, all of that. Devin Booker, Chris Paul getting to the mid-range. There's a lot of randomness in what the Warriors do because of their off-ball movement. And really, they have three guys who do that in Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole, who cooled down a little bit, but he's had a great postseason and the way that they cut, the way that they flash, the way that they come off of screens, the way that they cut back door and they're willing to set screens. Not only that, but the, the role that Draymond Green plays. And we talked about this a little bit last week. I am fascinated to see how the Mavericks defend Draymond Green because we did see the Memphis Grizzlies kind of ignore him offensively and try and turn him to a more of a scorer, knowing that he doesn't want to do that. But he's basically the point guard of that team playing as a power forward and center sometimes. And the reads that he can he can make as a passer, there's not many players in the league who can do that. So yeah, I, I, I that's a very good point. Like there's a lot of randomness to this Warriors offense. The other thing is like who's Luca guarding? Because um, he's gonna is he gonna really chase Steph Curry off of screens? Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole. Um, I, I wonder if we kind of just see him guard Draymond um, and, and and you know see how that goes. But again, I, I, I I'm betting on Luca and betting on kind of the momentum that the Mavericks are building. Um, and also just the, what they've been able to do defensively. I, I, we've talked about it, but it does seem like, you know, Luca gets all the attention for their success, and rightly so. He's absolutely incredible. He's one of the best players in the league. Um, but what Jason Kidd has been able to do on both ends of the court for this team um, definitely deserves more attention. No question about it. I, I do expect the, the Mavs to play a lot of zone. Uh, all right, Scott, that's the uh, the preview of the Western Conference Finals. One of us will be right. One of us will be wrong. We'll make fun of uh, whoever is uh, wrong on this very program. If you missed any of this show, you can catch us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, NBA Sound System, just type that in. And please wait, rate and review and share it amongst your friends. Uh, a lot of good basketball chat going on over the next couple of weeks uh, as we head to the Conference Finals, Finals, and the NBA Draft and Free Agency. It just doesn't stop here on NBA Sound System, rolling right through. For Scott Rafferty, I am Carlin Gay. We will see you next time right here on NBA Sound System. Mm-hmm.